Welcome back to the Plus Minus Podcast, where we discuss ways to have more health, beauty, and love every day. My name is Megan Karp, the creator of Plus Minus, and today I am here with Dr. Ellen Hayes, who specializes in infertility and reproductive endocrinology. Today we are talking about how lifestyle choices affect your fertility, some of the common taboos related to failed pregnancies, and how these types of conversations have changed over the years. Ellen and I have planned to sit down to podcast for months, but we put it off due to the recent craziness in the world. So I'm very happy and grateful to have Ellen in my home to share her knowledge. A little background. I learned about Ellen through our local Pure Bar studio. I saw that Pure Bar had reposted one of Ellen's Instagram posts and her handle is Healthy Fertility MD. At the time that I saw this, my husband and I were trying to get pregnant, so I was really drawn to Ellen's content, especially her focus on living a healthy lifestyle. As luck would have it, I saw Ellen the next morning at a 6 a.m. Pure Bar class. I sat next to her and I basically told her that I had stalked her Instagram. The next week, we met for wine and cheese and conversation. And then the stars kind of aligned because A mere two weeks later or so, I became pregnant for the first time and then later suffered a failed pregnancy. Ellen was super supportive and informative during that time. I know that I'm not alone here. A lot of women go through infertility issues, and I've been so excited to have Ellen here to share her wealth of knowledge with everyone. Reminds me of a story. is our natural habitat. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. So you went to medical school in Chicago. You went to Loyola. Did you know at that time that you wanted to specialize in infertility? What made you interested in working in this field? You know, way back then in medical school, I actually thought I'd probably want to be a pediatrician. And I don't know why I thought that other than I think my pediatricians were what kind of inspired me to go into medicine. I don't have a medical family. Um, But then, you know, you go through your clinical rotations in third and fourth year of medical school. And I just kind of fell in love with OBGYN because it's a good mix of procedures, surgeries, office hours where you actually get hands-on time with patients. So it was just like a perfect fit. But then that is a four-year residency program. And it really wasn't until my second year of OBGYN training that I rotated on a reproductive endocrine and infertility rotation and found out that I really loved that aspect of OBGYN the most. And that was, from then on out, that was kind of my goal. That's amazing. Yeah. Were there women that you connected with during your time in Mm -hmm. residency and you were just like, this is it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let's say 
I'm wanting now to try to start getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. What would you say are kind of the general or the generic go-tos for somebody who's just wanting to start trying right now? Okay, so first and foremost, make sure you're on a prenatal vitamin. Okay. (laughs) Because if you are trying at all and not preventing pregnancy, it's great to have that in your system ahead of time, even a few weeks before you get pregnant, just to make sure your folic acid levels are high enough to prevent birth defects. So that's just sort of a blanket statement. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as what to do, I would start kind of in advance paying attention to your cycles, your menstrual cycles. Um, I think that, you know, there are a lot of apps. There aren't any particular ones that I would recommend, but a lot of women use apps on their phone to track their cycles. And that allows you to begin to understand, am I having regular cycles, which is defined by, you know, menstrual cycles that are 21 to 35 days in length. And does it seem like I'm having symptoms of ovulation? Am I having what seems like normal periods? That's kind of a good starting point to just kind of understand your body. Okay. Would you say that a multivitamin or the prenatal vitamins that you described, is that better than just taking like folate or folic acid in itself? You know, it's probably fine just to take the folate or folic acid as long as you're getting 400 micrograms in the vitamin you're using or in your folic acid supplement that should be adequate. That's really the most important component of the prenatal. As long as you have a healthy diet where you're getting other nutrients from your food. Yeah, and we'll totally get into that (laughs) because that's so interesting. Um, Okay, how hard is it to actually get pregnant? Like I remember being in college and having scares like, Michael and I totally did the plan B thing once (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I thought like, oh my gosh, if I'm breathed on, I'll get pregnant. Like, but now that I'm actively trying, I'm realizing it's a lot more challenging for me to get pregnant. So would you say that it's, that it's actually hard to get pregnant? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think if you don't want to be pregnant, you need to be using contraception because it really could happen anytime. Um, but natural chance for pregnancy per cycle in a younger couple with no fertility issues is only about 20, maybe 25% chance for pregnancy per month. Mm. So what that equates to is that after a year of trying, over 80% of couples will be pregnant. And so that's why we define infertility as a year of regular unprotected intercourse um, in women who are less than 35. Interesting. I didn't know that you actually defined infertility in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying actively for a year and still no luck, then you are in, you're infertile. Is that what you would say? Well, I mean, technically that's the diagnosis mm-hmm. we assign. Yeah. Um, it certainly doesn't mean that you can't get pregnant naturally. It just means that over that course of time, if it has not happened, then the chance per month, if you just continue to try on your own and don't seek help, just begins to fall. And so that's a good point in the process to say, okay, we've been trying for over a year. It might be time to talk to my OBGYN doctor or see a specialist like myself. Okay. And I'll, I'll also add that if women are 35 and older, we shorten that time frame to six months. And that's mainly because, you know, egg quality, egg supply can start to decline more quickly as we get mid-30s, late-30s, early-40s. So we don't necessarily want women in that age group trying for a full year. Sure. 
35 and older, has that changed the age range or has that been pretty standard for a long time? It's been pretty standard for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned tracking with like an app, like your smartphone. Mm -hmm. I use Flow, Yeah. Um, which I love. How do you feel about using ovulation sticks? I've heard that you can get the smiley mm -hmm. and then you're not ovulating or that they can fail you in some way, but I'm just interested to hear your thoughts. I think that, you know, if you're planning to try for pregnancy, paying attention to cycles is important. If you're actively trying for pregnancy, my advice would be to use ovulation predictor kits because they are actually very accurate at detecting your hormone surge that signals that ovulation will occur. And so a lot of women um, purchase an ovulation monitor that kind of tracks every day of the cycle and starts to record information and begins to give them sort of a smarter picture long-term of what their cycles are doing. But if you want to do, you know, a cheaper, easier version and just get those daily sticks that you use around the middle of the cycle, they're mm -hmm. actually really accurate too. So if you are someone who's having regular menstrual cycles and you have positive ovulation kits, the odds that you're not ovulating, it's actually pretty low. Mm -hmm. You know, both of those things put together mean that you're probably ovulating on a regular basis. Okay, good. Well, I do have those sticks, so that's good. great. I'll put them good. to you. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so let's say you get pregnant easily, but you can't hold on to the baby. So I got pregnant the second time we tried, very easy. My girlfriend, too, has gotten pregnant pretty much every time that she's tried multiple times, um, but we just, it, the baby doesn't hold. Mm -hmm. So how do you, can you prevent that? Can you try to hold on to something or is it sort of an, an inevitable loss? That's a good question. And I would say that most of the time miscarriage or pregnancy loss is due to a genetic problem with the pregnancy right from the time of fertilization. And so it's not something that you can fix or do anything about and it's not your fault. It's just typically a sporadic thing. Um, that being said, there can be other reasons that women have health-wise that can make them more predisposed to having multiple miscarriages. And so when women have had two or more clinical pregnancy losses, so pregnancies that have gotten far enough along that you can confirm the pregnancy in the uterus with ultrasound or with tissue diagnosis after they have the miscarriage, then they fall into the category of recurrent pregnancy loss. And that kind of triggers a different type of evaluation. And that's something that a fertility specialist would also see you for. Um, but it's important to remember that miscarriage is incredibly common. Um, one in four pregnancies, you know, kind of across the board will end in miscarriage. And so it's very, very common. What's not common is to keep having you know, later first trimester miscarriages over and over again. That's the time to see somebody, have some additional testing done to see if there's some kind of preventable cause for the miscarriages versus just those sporadic genetic problems that can happen. Right. It's interesting. A, a follower reached out to me today when she saw that you were coming on mm -hmm. and she said, you know, I recently went through a miscarriage and I haven't told anybody besides mm -hmm. her husband. She says, mm -hmm. I, I don't know why I know they're common. I just, I don't want to talk to anybody about it. And mm -hmm. since you're seeing this so frequently, 
I wonder why if why is this so t- taboo if it's so common? Why why don't women talk about it? Well, I think that it sort of falls under that whole umbrella of infertility and miscarriage. You know, that was just something that people didn't talk about for so long. For some reason there was shame involved, and I think some of it comes back to the fact that women blame themselves they inevitably think that they did something wrong if they can't get pregnant. You know, what did I do earlier in life? Did I use too much birth control? Things like that that are clearly not what's happening and what caused anything. Um, And they always tend to really examine what did I do wrong to lead to miscarriage too. So I feel like as a community, fertility doctors, especially in social media, we're trying to get that out there, the message that it's not your fault this happens so frequently. We need to be talking about this and you don't need to deal with this on your own. And I think that, believe it or not, social media is really a great place to turn to see other fertility specialists like myself. Um, there's a community of us out there making posts and informative posts about things like this to kind of get it out there because we don't want women just sitting home suffering by themselves. Yeah, I know that when I went through my ectopic pregnancy, I mean, I was grateful to find your content before that, but even just hashtagging ectopic pregnancy, I found so many women and it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's an uncommon thing to go through an ectopic specifically. I mean, it's more rare than just a general miscarriage. And it was so wonderful to use social media as a platform to connect with people who've gone through Mm -hmm. through similar circumstances, so. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Okay, something I love about your work is how you advocate for a healthy lifestyle to boost your fertility. Mm-hmm. So can you share some natural ways to increase your fertility? Like, What are things that you would add and maybe some things that you would subtract from your lifestyle? Um, I think that kind of a broad way to think about it is the healthier you are in general, the better your reproductive function and the better your fertility. Because if your body is under stress, one of the first functions that it will shut down on is getting pregnant. If it thinks you're not in a healthy environment and able to support a pregnancy growing inside of you, it will change the way your hormones cycle and it may stop ovulation and it can impair your fertility. And so in a subtle way, that can happen from lots of things. So I would start with just really basic things like examining your diet, examining your exercise, your sleep, your stress management, and exposure to toxins in your environment. I mean, in a nutshell, those are the things that you know we can expand upon. But for instance, um, you know, diet is a really important thing, and having a healthy body weight and BMI is really critical to having your best fertility. If you're underweight or overweight, you'll have lower fertility and lower chance for pregnancy per cycle. So the best way to do that, and you don't have to be at your perfect weight to get pregnant, you know, nobody's saying that, but the best way to kind of make sure you're at your healthiest version of yourself is to look at your nutrition. So nutrition that is pro-fertility will be things like lots of fruits and vegetables and lots of whole grains. So people who are keto or preventing, you know, any carbohydrate intake, minimizing that, that's not the best diet if you're planning to try for pregnancy. I would convert to one where you're, you know, ingesting some complex carbohydrates. Getting your protein from plant sources versus getting it from meat Mm -hmm. and dairy 
and focusing on fish as a protein source as well. And really the things to minimize are our meat, even, you know, it's not just red meat, but all types of meat have all kinds of things in them that are, are not good for us. Um, whatever the animal eats, mm -hmm. we're eating when we eat the animal. And so there's a lot of stuff in there that can be toxic mm -hmm. to our bodies. So I'm not saying completely avoid, you don't have to eliminate things from your diet, but be mindful of that. And if you're having meat every single day, maybe swap that out for some vegetarian meals, you know, beans, things like that instead. Mm -hmm. And minimizing dairy too. Um, a lot of saturated fat is not good for either men or women trying for pregnancy. Simple carbohydrates are like poison. So <laughs> yeah. I always, when I talk to patients and I ask them, you know, how much caffeine do you drink? And I say, well, what, where are you getting your caffeine? Because if they're drinking a bunch of soda mm -hmm. or really sugary coffee, coffee drinks, then they need to start to back off on that simple sugar intake. Mm -hmm. That is not good for fertility mm -hmm. um, for men or women. Both these things kind of apply to both partners when you're trying as a couple. Okay. I'll let Michael know. He yeah, does, he doesn't know. really. Drink. He drinks. <laughs> I think you guys are healthy, but yeah, yeah. yeah. He does sugar um, substitutes like stevia and things like mm -hmm. that. Would you say that that is okay? I know that it affects your insulin still. Yeah, I think that um, you know the the jury's kind of out on that because what we want are foods that help us have a healthy gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. So you want a lot of fiber in your diet and that's not gonna come from meat and dairy and it's gonna come from vegetables, fruits, plants, basically. Mm -hmm. um, the artificial sweeteners, there are some studies that show that they can alter your gut microbiome, but and some are worse than others. So I would say, you know, as long as he's not having it all day long and yeah. tons and tons, it's probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, a couple things I wanted to ask. I am a fan of intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. um, I do it maybe every other day or so, maybe a 14 to 16 hour fast. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also had a follower reach out to me, different follower, and she says that she does a 24 hour fast once a week. How do you feel about intermittent fasting while trying to conceive? I think that, well, first of all, intermittent fasting is tricky because people, a lot of things kind of get labeled as intermittent fasting, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that for someone trying for pregnancy, the best way to go is to go that long mm -hmm. um, without food. So I would say that as far as the time restriction you want to kind of use as a guide, it would probably be to try to consume your calories in not less than about 10 or 11 hours mm -hmm. of the day. Mm -hmm. So you can fast the remainder of the day. I usually say try to get your calories in within about 10 or 11 hours and stop eating about three hours before bedtime. That's what's best for insulin levels. And that seems to be helpful to decrease inflammation in the body, mm -hmm. which is pro-fertility then. Yeah. Okay. So you could do a small intermittent fast. You can. 12 to 13 hours maybe. Is yeah. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of patients that are having difficulty conceiving because they have um, polycystic ovarian syndrome and they have naturally higher insulin levels and they might be overweight. That kind of can go hand in hand with that diagnosis. They do really well um, kind of helping with their own insulin levels by doing some of that time-restricted eating. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. 
Um, how about alcohol consumption while trying to conceive? How do you feel about that? Um, well, I don't think you have to completely eliminate, but we usually say as a guideline for both partners not to exceed one or two alcoholic drinks in a given day. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say, oh, I barely drink. I only drink on Saturday and I have 10 drinks. You know, so that is much, much worse than having one glass of wine every night. Um, so binge drinking is a no-no because that's just bad for you in general. That leads to more inflammation and, and therefore can affect fertility. Having one or two alcoholic drinks per day kind of spread out through the week seems to be okay. When I have patients that are embarking on fertility treatment, I usually say try to back off even more than that, but occasional glass of wine, you know, isn't okay. gonna help or hurt anything. Um, okay. How has the conversation related to fertility changed within your 15 years of practice? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that you know, I'm so grateful that people are more open with sharing their stories. And I really, again, think social media in just the last few years has had a lot to do with that. I think people are less embarrassed. They're coming in sooner because they're hearing about well, what is infertility? When should I seek help? Because people are talking to one another. And so I think the stigma is kind of falling away. It's not gone. You know, mm -hmm. people are still embarrassed and, and sad and, and don't always want to share. But I think that the conversation is out there and that's so great because it affects one in six couples. And so, you know, the fact that people weren't talking about it for so long yeah. is really terrible. It's really terrible. There were a lot of people out there just trying to deal with this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it seems that the stigma is kind of starting to, to crumble a little bit. A little your bit. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think so. I think people are more familiar with um, you know, seeing different people, maybe celebrities too, talking about their mm -hmm. stories. You know, We don't always know if their stories are exactly the whole story, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a, a flip side to that where they're having babies when they're 50 and then people think they can wait until they're 50 and that's sort of a, a not true. Right. Um, <laughs> but I think the fact that people, you know, celebrities and then just individuals on social media share their story, people get out there and they hear that. And I think it's great to have the conversation be open for both partners, men and women. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a moment to talk about IVF. Mm -hmm. What is IVF and why is it becoming so popular for women? Well, IVF or in vitro fertilization basically just means the egg and sperm fertilize in the laboratory versus in vivo fertilization, which would mean it happens in the body. So the process of IVF involves a woman using hormones, which are given in the form of an injection to develop multiple eggs in one cycle versus what your body wants to do, which is produce one at a time and ovulate one at a time. So we use lab-made, we say recombinant versions of hormones that are naturally in your body, but you get it in a higher dose. So your ovaries will make multiple eggs at once and we can remove those eggs. We can collect them from the ovaries with a procedure called an egg retrieval that's done under anesthesia. It takes 15, 20 minutes. Then we can get a sperm sample from the partner and or a donor, if it's a, a single woman, 
and inject a sperm into each egg to help them fertilize and do that in the laboratory to create embryos, which we can then at a later time transfer into the uterus and produce pregnancy. That is amazing. Yeah. I have a girlfriend. It's pretty that's cool. Going, yeah. That's so cool. Do you see a lot of single women coming in wanting babies? I do. Yeah. I do. So I think we see some women who are single who want to try for pregnancy. They're comfortable, you know, being a single parent. I also see a lot of women who come to see me who are single, who are just not ready to start their family yet, but they want to keep their options open so they freeze their eggs. They can go through that initial part of the IVF process where we stimulate the eggs to form and we remove them from the ovaries, but then we can freeze them unfertilized so they can come back and use them later when they find a partner if they're at an age where their eggs are no longer working naturally. Wow. Yeah. Can you do the IVF process and then as the women that you described who want to freeze them and use them at a later date, mm -hmm. can you, um, would it be proper to say to inject them back into the woman? Mm -hmm. Okay. At 15 yeah. or older? Like, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially what most people are doing is they're, they're using this as sort of a backup plan, right? If they haven't found their partner or they're focused on school or their career and they're just not ready mm -hmm. to have a family, we can freeze eggs at the age that they're at. So then when they do find a partner or if they decide to start their family on their own later, if they've reached an age where the eggs just aren't working well, we can thaw those eggs out, inject them with a sperm to fertilize them, whether it's their partners or from a sperm donor and make embryos and then just transfer the embryo into her uterus. So it's kind of like you're doing the first part of IVF now and then planning the second part later. Sure. Yeah. That is outstanding. Um, okay. What do you see the, for, or the future of fertility looking like? Like what, what research, what technology excites you right now? What developments are you looking forward to? Well, I think that, you know, in my career so far, I think the biggest change has been our ability to test embryos. So we've gone from a point where we could get eggs and sperm and make embryos, and then we gave them a grade, like a score, and that is how we chose which one to transfer into the uterus and try for pregnancy. Now we're at a point where we can actually biopsy a few cells from each embryo before we freeze them and test them to make sure they have the right number of chromosomes. And the reason that's important is because, you know, obviously an embryo has to not have any missing or extra chromosomes to have the best chance to be viable. So that testing has really taken us from, you know, having a certain pregnancy rate to much better pregnancy rates in certain age groups because we can find that viable embryo before we put it in the uterus. And we can also, if we know that the male and female partner carry mutations for a certain disease, we can test the embryos ahead of time to make sure they won't be a child that has that disease before we transfer. So that, you know, from what I've seen so far has been really exciting. And that technology just gets better and better as we go along. They're actually working on technology where we may in the future not even have to biopsy the embryo. We can just test the fluid that the embryo grows in in the incubator and becomes even less invasive. Um, but I think really what's kind of coming down the pipeline is probably AI being introduced into more of you know medicine in all aspects, but definitely fertility care and treatment. We at Vios Fertility, my practice, 
are one of the first sites in the country to use embryo cryopreservation or freezing tanks that are managed by artificial intelligence. So rather than a human being checking the tank once a day and saying, yes, the embryos are frozen, you know, everything's fine. You have this automated system where they're doing thousands of checks per day. So you can tell that your embryos or your frozen eggs or the frozen sperm um, are safe and healthy. So that's one aspect that's already happening and being perfected. We also have the capability now for AI to look at a photograph of an egg, which, you know, in the past we haven't been able to look at each and every egg in the lab and say, that's a good one, that's a bad one. You know, mm -hmm. it's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. But AI can look at photographs and make some determinations about which eggs are healthy. So if you're a woman who comes in to freeze eggs and we say, we have 15 eggs, with this extra step, we might actually be able to say, oh, but only five of them look healthy, like they might produce a pregnancy. And that can help with planning for yeah. future treatments. So I really think that that's what's going to be on the horizon is more ways that artificial intelligence can kind of amplify what we already do. And sort of expedite the process potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Make it more efficient, make it more accurate. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's amazing. I haven't yeah. heard that before. That's yeah, cool. Thanks it is for really cool. Um, okay, to end, I just want to say that you are such a beautiful woman. You glow truly, like I'm looking at you right now from the inside oh out. Oh my gosh. You do. <laughs> and, and in Pure Bar, and it's not just sweating, like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's partially that. <laughs> But I want to ask you your health and beauty philosophy. So maybe it's your philosophy or maybe it's just your greatest tips. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you do to live a healthy, beautiful life? Well, I think that um, what I've learned over the years, because I'm much, much older than you, is that you have to really find ways to cope and manage stress because we're never going to eliminate stress from our lives, right? And so when patients come in and say to me, I'm so stressed, is that why I can't get pregnant? Or I'm so stressed, is that why I had a miscarriage? It's not, it's not going to be that reason per se, but I think a healthier way to be is to kind of attack it proactively and figure out ways that you function best managing your stress, whether it's meditation, whether it's just making sure you get enough sleep and getting exercise, those are really important things that people don't always think of as stress management. Mm -hmm. um, eating healthy food is a form of stress management. And just finding what works for you to kind of manage your day and manage your stress because it's just gonna be lifelong. And that really, I think, is kind of hands down what we as a society should be thinking about more. Oh my gosh, if I could just take that statement and scream it from a mountain top. <laughs> it's not the conventional right? beauty tip, but I think it's so it's so true. So it's thank so you. true. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Well, thank you so much again for being here today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, if you want to follow along, Ellen has great content and her Instagram handle is fertility or healthy fertility MD. Yes, exactly. All right. Thank you.